Florida's capital city. This is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Good Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. Here we go. We're off and running now. As you see, if you're watching on War Chant TV, first of all, thanks. Uh, but a little bit different. This is a weird, disjointed, convoluted week, uh, and it's mainly my fault. Uh, it's the last of the jumbled sort of weird uh, weeks. We'll give you the lowdown so you can kind of understand the schedule. Uh, I always appreciate that you guys listen and or watch or do both or download the podcast. I also want to be uh, honest with you know the fact that some of these segments will be recorded. Some of the stuff will be live. Most of the stuff this week is, is recorded. Um, and we have had to move some things around. I have to leave town for a couple of days. And then at the end of the week, hey, hey, this is a good way to lead a show, right? I get to have a colonoscopy. And uh, those of you that have had one, I, I, I have not. This is my first. Uh, I'm a little late to the game, uh, but uh, but I'm having one now, and I'm told by everybody that, yeah, you're not going to really want to be able to do a show that day, Jeff. That's, uh, you're going to go ahead and take a day for yourself on that day. So I'm going to take a day for myself at the end of the week here as that gets started. But then we're all good. Everything's good. I'll explain later on. Let's get to the sports. Let's get to the stuff. Florida State scrimmaged last night, and unfortunately for us, we're not able to watch it. And we can only go by what the coaches have to say after it. A lot of you uh, may have uh, uh, read what we had there on warchant.com, kind of a summary of uh, what the coaches had to say. And, uh, you know, Tom, I don't know where you want to start on this, but whenever we go into a weekend like this, they're not practicing today, guys. So, honestly, this is a perfect day for us to have a a recorded show. There's nothing that's going to be revealed today, we don't think. Uh, since they're not practicing, they're resting, they get back after it tomorrow. But whenever they go into that first scrimmage, A, I get excited. It means we're that much closer, and we're going to find some things out, even if it's just trusting what they're having to say. Um, but also, I get nervous. Uh, when you go full-on live and you take it into the stadium and the lights are bright and everybody's adrenaline is up and competing for jobs and reps and they want to shine, the intensity is ratcheted you worry that somebody's going to get hurt because football's a violent game and that's the way it's played. Luckily, it sounds like from what we can tell, I think Mike's words, quote unquote, nothing excessive, no excessive injuries, which means a football game was basically played and there might be some dings and bruises because that's what happens when you play football. But uh, nothing excessive seems to suggest to me that nobody suffered uh, a serious setback that's going to cause them to miss serious time. And that is where I start. I always start with that. When you've got a good team, and you know that team's capable of playing at a very high level as it's currently constructed. You don't want to change. You don't want to hear anything that changes that perspective like we had last week when Daryl Jackson didn't get his waiver, right? That was the first thing that you thought of. You thought, okay, I knew the team to be this thing. Now it's not this thing. They've chipped away at that thing. There's, they're, they're lesser than. 
They're still good. They're still going to be all right. Everything seems okay, but they're lesser than when you lose that chip, when you lose that piece. Coming out of the scrimmage, I thought, don't give me another lesser than. Don't give me another chip. Don't tell me somebody that we're counting on is out, and we did not hear that. That's the good news. I think we start there. Yeah, I agree. You know, Adam Fuller said later on in, in his press conference that Omar Graham linebacker got a little banged up, but he showed what he needed to do before that, and he should be fine. Like, it's, it's that kind of a, a discussion, and – you know, that might apply to some other players, but if yeah. you're going to go about it that way and say the guy got the work in, a little dinged up, no big deal, he should be fine, then yes, you can handle that, especially on the 13th of August, which is when the scrimmage was conducted. That's plenty of runway to get towards uh, the game itself against LSU. And that's what we, you know, it's not like there's a ramp up process to this. So there's an urgency when you get a report from a scrimmage, not necessarily about the aptitude of what was done, although there are some headlines there that I think are worth bearing out and fleshing out too. But it's just, it's not a Duquesne followed by a Boston College and then LSU. You know, it's, this is, you got to be ready to go out the gate. And that's where I think, you know, having some of these veterans, maybe as Mike Norvell said in Jacksonville last week when he was pressed by the Jacksonville media, uh, you know, if you're going to manage time, this is why you do it because there, there is no preseason with Duquesne. This is, you got to be ready and we got to time release this thing because if you beat LSU, you are putting yourself on the fast track to a college football playoff berth. It's so immediate. Part of me loves that. But then part of me as we're getting through camp hates that because it's just, it, it doesn't, you're not dead in the water if you lose to LSU, but no. it just makes it so much harder because you almost have to run the table from that point on. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I understand what you're saying. It's it's about the you're thinking about the college football playoff, right? That's what you said. Yeah. As, as it pertains to the playoff, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's what you were saying. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, yeah, you kind of do. Um, probably, yeah, probably. I think so. Yeah. There's a part of me that says ten and two with a win in the ACC championship game could get you back. You could maybe get in. You could maybe, but it's unlikely. To your point. Um, yeah, just I, the way I look at it, too, is going over to Clemson at probably a road game. At, I mean, I know it's a road game, but probably at night. Yeah. Probably, you know, you just kind of – would you really want to be in a must-win situation with that? I mean, that's that's added pressure in an already pressure-packed environment. Right. So, yeah. I, you know. You want right. to be able to go up there with nothing to lose. You know, nothing just to lose. Yeah. let it fly. And if it doesn't work out, that's all right. Run the table. You'll see him again in Charlotte. You know, that's that's the position that you want to be in with the LSU win. So anytime that there is a development in practice, you know, some we can talk about because Mike Norvell or the other coaches go on record, some we can't. It's all against that. Man, it, you shouldn't have like a, a finality to a first game, but there, there feels like there's some finality to the first game of the season. Well, and it's weird too, Tom, because this is the time of year where I start checking in with a lot of people throughout the league, or at least, maybe not throughout the league, I should say, at least the teams that are maybe a threat and on our schedule. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm not checking in with teams that aren't on our schedule, and I'm not really checking in with teams that I don't believe to be a viable threat to win the conference or to beat Florida State. But if you're on that list of teams that I think could beat Florida State or are good enough on a given day, certainly, to beat Florida State. That means they have the requisite line of scrimmage strength or a talented quarterback, whatever that might be, a good coach, something like that. Then I check in with people and I read a little bit more of their coverage on on three and I find out from – and we know a lot of people that cover these teams. It's weird, you know, the reason I bring that up is I don't like to think of the LSU game as an ultimatum on the season, like you're saying. I don't want to look at that game that way. I want to go into that game. I want to judge – what I think Florida State is compared to, uh, and LSU should look at it this way too, 
uh, compared to another top 10 caliber program in the country, right? What are you? It stands to reason when you're playing a top 10 caliber program, you could lose. You could lose. I mean, it's, it's a top 10 team. Any of the top 10 teams could beat each other. We know that on a given day. You turn it over inside your 10, uh, you know, you lose the game, you know, or something weird like that. You give up a big special teams play, whatever it is, you lose the game. The other teams are good enough to do something about it. And I don't want to feel like walking out of that stadium if Florida State falls 27-24, 37-34, whatever it might be. Oh, God, the season's over because it's not. It's really not. No. But when when we go back to checking in on other people, I'll tell you what, man, it has been exciting to me. (laughs) Obviously, I look at it from a certain lens. I don't think Clemson people are all that excited about this offense. Let me put it that way. I, I think they're a little concerned with their offense at Clemson. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm getting. A couple of people I know that cover Clemson have said, eh, it's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. So I keep that in mind. I don't know. Maybe they'll be great by week four. Who who knows? And certainly that team's got plenty of talent. So uh, they're not devoid of that. But I'm not, I'm suddenly not looking at that week four game as like a death march, you know, like to end of Clemson where we haven't won in forever. And it's been a long time. And you know it's a legitimate atmosphere, one of the few in the ACC. I don't know, man. Maybe maybe we're poised and ready to go in there and dominate that game no matter what happens in the LSU game. Yeah, for sure. And if you play a classic and lose it, that's different than losing by 10 points or more or something along those lines. So that helps with the committee and perception, and it's the SEC bias that actually works in your favor. You know, I I get all of those things. It's just that the safety net is gone at that point. Mm -hmm. For example, to get into specifics about the scrimmage, when Mike Norvell says that we got stopped on the goal line, early on in, in last night's scrimmage. Damn it, man. You know, it's just the red zone stuff is, it's going to be an issue until it's no longer an issue. And then you go further down the line, he says, well, then we got back there again and we punched it in. I'm going to read that personally. Nobody, no inside information, no nothing. As the first team offense gets down there and the first team defense stops and stuffs the first team offense with a goal line stand. Mm-hmm. And then the second team offense gets down there Fewer talented bodies on defense, you punch it in. Like I feel like that's what that is. Don't know that for a fact, but you just want that first-team offense to be able to – they don't always have to dominate and impose their will when they're in the red zone, but they've got to have aptitude on a level that they, that they did not last year. Because you couldn't cash it in in the red zone last year against LSU, Fabian Love gets hurt. You just can't have these trickle-down effects. You probably should have lost the football game because you didn't cash it in the red zone. The two-point conversion, that never happened. We'll we'll never know. But it's those situational failures that can separate you from being a playoff team and a non-playoff team. So I'm not panicking about that, but that's concerning, and and I'd like that to stop. And then Coach Norvell said later on when he was talking about the offensive line, this is reiterating that Robert Scott message, that, and we've had segments about this in the last week, that they're managing some players that they should be getting some guys back in the mix this week. It's it basically, it sounds like they want to mix and match early to the late, maybe the late portion of the week, but they're going Tuesday through Saturday, straight through every day. And then a scrimmage on Sunday. And what the way coach Norvell talked about it is they're going to be back to full strength by the end of the week. We can't go into specifics about that. The Robert Scott thing is kind of an open secret because Mike Norvell said they're going to manage him. He's played a ton of football. But I think there's a couple other guys that Coach Norvell is very excited to see back into the rotation so that Florida State's depth can be at its peak. And, yeah, and, and it's a, sh- a better chance to succeed in these situations, like maybe a goal line where they didn't get the job done and they're pissed off about it. All right, a couple things there to unpack. I, I am not concerned about them in the red zone this year. I think they're going to be great. 
I think they're going to be great in the red zone this year. I really do. I know why you said what you said. You're right about referencing last year's ineptitudes. I don't think that's going to be a problem this year, partly because I think when they're fully healthy within that offensive line unit, they've got a lot of answers in terms of the kinds of guys that can get you a half a yard or a yard, right? So, again, we can't get specific, but I think a couple of those guys are going to have greater opportunities to help out there. Yeah. Uh, secondly, the options with the tight ends and the kinds of play calls that you can have with that height and that talent and that size, I just think they're going to score. I believe the modern game in the NFL and in college football has shifted away from the ability to have three yards and a cloud of dust mentality in the red zone. Guys are too damn big. The only team that does it with any great success or any regularity in the NFL is the Philadelphia Eagles. Yep. And they do it better than anybody. They have an entire package for it. And they have a quarterback whose legs are the size of the offensive lineman's legs. And so they go, I mean, literally that's where having a quarterback that likes to squat with the linemen and did all the way back in college. And I mean, you know, they've, they've, they've done so many specials on this. It's you, know, you roll your eyes, but he's a monster. And they get in there with these packages and they're able to shift and get everybody. It's almost like a rugby thing uh, with Jalen Hurts. It's, it's silly. I don't know. We don't have that. Jordan Travis isn't that. No. And, and, but what Jordan Travis is, is incredibly elusive and incredibly fast and the ability to tuck it and get him outside uh, and, and, you know, play action, all that stuff. And with all the, the different tight ends that we have in the side, I, th- I just think they're going to be great in the red zone. I really do. I think they're so much more equipped. They really didn't have a threat at tight end last year inside the red zone. They've got three of them now. They really didn't have this offensive line with the guys we're talking about, that extra size, that extra oomph if you go heavy. Really didn't have that. They had to, I mean, I don't think you need Lundy back there this year because you have a Jaheim Bell. I mean, I, I don't know. I think you got plenty of options. Benson is even stronger than he was a year ago, even yeah. bigger than he was a year ago. You and I look at Benson and we go, holy moly, that's a monster. Yeah, He wasn't running. Think about early in the season, the way he ran compared to late in the season. Now you enter the season with that guy running like a man who trusts it. I just, I think they're going to be great in the red zone. I'm not worried about it, but I understand it. And think about this. When we say red zone, we're not just talking about goal line. We're talking about red zone. Well, last year's red zone problems, you couldn't kick a field goal. For yeah. a large swath of the season, you had to call plays as if you were just going to go for it, no matter what the down and distance was inside the 20, because you didn't think you could make the field goal. Yeah, agreed. Uh, agreed. And it's not the skill position that worries me. Uh, it's the offensive line. And uh, specifically, I think they need to lock down some answers in the interior of the offensive line. We'll see where they stand after scrimmage number two. Mm-hmm. It is not red alert, but it is squarely a yellow alert in that specific situation. I'm talking about being stuffed up the gut. I agree with you. If you want to spread it out a little bit more, you want to play out of the gun from the five yard line. With all the weapons that we do have, or the pistol, you know, you could break out the pistol. Mark Easton's on one end of the line. Yeah. I mean, and Jaheem's out there wherever he's going to line up because he's multifaceted. Who the hell knows? But I get it. I get it. There are, there are options, but the imposition of will, I just, I don't know that that's going to be the resounding answer in 2023 to the poor, to the poor play in 2022, where you just couldn't get a yard when you needed a yard. I'm a little concerned about that. Well, one of the things, and, Let's extrapolate that a little bit here, a little bit further. I, I agree with you because they have a problem with their starting center. Yeah. And what I mean by that is in the middle of the field where you can kind of spread people out and do the things you want to do with the athleticism he provides and the technique gets him through, it's very different than down on the goal line when he's 
got a 350 pounder lined up on his nose and he's undersized. Right. So you're intimating, rightfully so, it'd be nice to have somebody else be a center on the one yard line that could snap the ball that you could trust. And I'm not talking about any specific guy. Seems to me they brought in a guy to do that. And, you know, we need to see that fostered and perhaps and just hasn't happened yet. Certainly not that we've seen. So I got you. I got you. Because some of that, that's yeah. an element of what you are, Tom, that will not change. Correct. And Maurice, to this point, camp's been fine. Like, I'm not saying that, that he's a liability. I think some other guys that are, that are playing in the interior have been more of a concern than Maurice has been. It's just that it is a, it is a very specific place, specific time. It's not just going to be goal line. I, I, this extends to me to fourth and one, and it's a long one. You know, and, and you just can't. It, unless yeah. you rush up to the line, I, you're not going to be able to sneak it up the middle, like little things like this. This reminds me of the discussion that we had, and I know that it irked some, when Tom Brady first took over as the quarterback for the Buccaneers, and they went all in and they got these extra pieces, and it's the COVID year, they end up winning the Super Bowl. But I was unimpressed by a lot of the very good things because you got Bruce Arians' clock management issues, and you got this, and you got that. If this is a zero-sum game, you know, in 2020 for the Bucks to win the Super Bowl. So everything needs to be up to that elite standard. For me, personally, it's a zero-sum game for the playoff, which means that you're going to have to have all your details in a row for LSU and Clemson in September. So I get overly critical of small things because I think that's going to be the difference between going 4-0 and 2-2. and Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, oh, I, I'm glad you bring it up because I think if for, for new listeners to the Jeff Cameron Show who aren't aware – what we're comparing and contrasting, and what the standards are. Yeah, is Florida State already worlds better than they were two years ago? Yep, that was evident last year when they went 10-3. and three. Yeah. Once they went 10-3, and three, guys, we told you right after that, expectations, they grow. Expectations of building upon a 10-3 and three season is where you go from here. I'll take it a step further. Not only are the expectations that you improve on 10 and three and that you, you know, that would be what 11 and two, good Lord, or 12 and one or something like that. And we're talking about beyond the regular season, talking about hopefully an ACC championship game and perhaps a college football playoff game, if not more. So at that standard, you now are judging Florida state's players and execution and ability against the likes of Michigan, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Clemson, USC, Oklahoma, Texas, you know, I mean, I'm naming the big wings of college football. Obviously, Oklahoma is not in the same category these days. But, yes, the best of the best, all of the best teams, uh, you've got to show me that you can play on that level consistently. So when we criticize a player, we might say uh, he's not any good. Any good against what? Any good against an elite championship standard that we're holding you to. You know, then he could just be another guy. And we're, we know if you're going to take the next step, they can't be a bunch of uh, just another guy. Well, and the next step's right out the gate. You know, it's, it's yeah, week one. Yeah. It's your first game. And again, this is my personal take. It's like um, what we used to do Monday afternoons after Jimbo's Monday press conferences. So you just read into how they say what they say. Yeah. My take is that Coach Norvell is fine with what he's seen out of the offensive line. He's not in love with where they're at yet. He's yeah. not in love with it, and he's going to be a hell of a lot more in love with it when they're back to full strength. Correct. And when they're able to – these guys that they're managing that are unnamed – we know one of them, though uh, – when they get them back in the fold and they're able to roll them in 
and then really find out who the best five are and where they can put the best five. I, I think create it, the highest level of competition possible yeah. and let's see what happens. I have a feeling a guy who played last year is not going to play this year if they're fully healthy. I, I well, not going to start this year if they're fully healthy. To me, there's a guy, maybe two, that fit that category. Right now, I can think of one. Um, and it's not who you think I think it is. I, I think it's somebody else on the interior that is not going to play if they, if they get right. So we'll see. Yep. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV continues in just a moment. Hello there, podcasters. Oh, don't worry. I won't prattle on for two minutes like I do with some of the other reads. Zaxby's doesn't demand it of me. <laughs> Zaxby's like, look, just tell everybody that we have the best chicken sandwich in all the land. That's easy. I can do that. I can attest to that. A delicious, thick juicy, tasty Zaxby's chicken sandwich is where it's at. Of course, the strips are a given. You like the strips? We get the strips on game days. The platters are lifesavers. Mm-hmm. If you're going to a party, a pool party, say, this summer, and what do I bring? Just bring a beer giant thing. No. and Zaxby's. Don't worry about the beer. You bring the Zaxby's, you're going to be the hero. Just uh-huh. make sure you get all the sauces, too. They've got like 97 sauces, and they're all delicious. I don't know if you guys know this. There are 27 Zaxby's in Tallahassee alone. 27. You can't miss them. I think that's true in general in every city in America. They're like so, peach trees in Atlanta. They're everywhere. Look around, find you a Zaxby's, and get after it. By the way, your Tallahassee Zaxby's a proud Golden Chief booster for 18 years. Go Knowles. The Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. Jeff Cameron Show. Good Monday, everybody. Good to have you on board. Tom's with me, of course. Director Matthew is somewhere out there pressing buttons, probably. Something like that. On Twitter, it's at Jay Cameron Show. We're discussing the scrimmage Florida State had yesterday as much as we can, given that uh, we are not allowed to watch the scrimmages. That's uh, most unfortunate. I dream of a day, Tom, where we're able to watch those scrimmages as invited by the head coach. The trust level emerges to a place where they say, let's let Jeff and Tom in at the very least. Those two guys seem to be solid as a rock. We can trust them. We can trust them with our kids. Bring them in let them watch the scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, I'm game for that. Um, I'm lobbying think, for it. Yeah, Lobby away. I mean, you, you've you been on his sidelines. You've coached for him before. So I've I, coached. I've worn the headset. I've heard the dialogue. I've watched the interaction. I sat in the meeting rooms. I looked at the whiteboards. We went over the offense. Yep. And, and you know what? You haven't been barred from practice. That means you did a pretty good job of telling what you could tell and not telling what you couldn't tell. That's right. He knows I know that offense. Come on, baby. From what I gather, just asking around, and then what they said on the record, it sounds like they told – I mean, they were pretty transparent yeah. with yeah. what happened yesterday. They usually are if we're, if we're you know not joking around here. They usually yeah. are. They're yeah. not hiding much. They might hide if somebody has a terrible day, and they may even downplay a great day. But – the stuff yeah. in between, I think they're going to be straightforward about. No, uh, and and the thing is, as much as a scrimmage counts for, and it's more than practice, a scrimmage counts for more than a fully padded practice. Like I get that, you know, there are some things like last night. Adam Fuller's lamenting that they didn't generate turnovers, they didn't get the takeaways. Well, if you've watched camp, you know, yeah, and Adam said, yeah, 
specifically interceptions. Like they're getting their hands on the ball. They're getting downhill. And and that's we put that in the round table this weekend that ran a war champ. Uh, you were a part of it. I was a part of it. I think more takeaways are coming just because of the combination of the front four being more gifted. You've got more guys in third and obvious that can get to the quarterback because it's not just Jared Verse anymore. Braden Fisk on third down is going to be a real freaking problem up the middle. And that can it's the up the middle pressure that I think creates more turnovers in Correct. terms of interceptions than the perimeter pressure. That creates more sack fumbles, those types of things. But they've gotten a ton of turnovers so far in camp. So if they didn't last night, not a big deal. But then there's some other things that maybe have been trends that the coaching staff is not happy about in terms of consistency or, or specific position groups. I would have liked to have seen some of the younger guys in that secondary. I had a good conversation with one of our cohorts in the business. He doesn't work for us, but great guy, smart guy. And we were just kind of going through our impressions of camp so far and some of the things that stood out beyond uh, perhaps the obvious, you know, Jordan's had a good camp. So, you know, everybody has noticed that, you know, I mean, Keon Coleman's going to be a problem for people. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's obvious. He was a problem at Michigan state and they had no quarterback play. So yeah, all of that. And I brought up just as I did in that aforementioned round table that you should read on warchant.com, the entire staff getting involved there and answering some questions that we were asked that I've been really impressed with that secondary Tom, specifically that secondary has been to me, the surprise of camp. Because they haven't just been good. They've been aggressive and smart, and they've triggered, and they've put their hands all over the football. They've, you know, even when they don't pick it off, they're, they're disruptive. Uh, they're making plays. They're playing violent and fast, violent and fast. Man, I really like the way they're playing. Aggressive to the football, almost too aggressive. You're almost like, okay, dial it back a little bit. It's amazing. But guys that you didn't think uh, were going to, I guess, log serious playing time and really help this football team in year one, I, I, I think differently now. I, like I've said it before, Ashlyn Barker's a guy that has really impressed me. He's so long, and he's athletic, and he's 6'3", and he's, I think that kid's going to play for you. Yeah, uh, and he had another good day. Yes. What, what's funny is what they talk about with Ashlyn is how quick he is to the ball. I think one Matt Millar would appreciate his lateral speed. It, it's not that he doesn't have the downhill speed, but he stays so damn square when he's coming up to challenge the run. And it's almost like he's got a quick shuffle step to get into position. Again, something that, that Matt would really appreciate and understand. The two of them are elite athletes when it comes to the, the moving laterally. Uh, he's been a player for you. The way Adam talked last night, it sounds like he's not pleased with the way Shaheem and Akeem have come along in camp so far that they're, they're not going to that next level, but that Kevin Knowles is pushing for a lot of time. He said last night that Kevin Knowles will still play nickelback for us, but he's going to make an impact in that safety room, especially for Akeem and Shaheem, which I believe to be code for one of y'all's jobs is going to get taken if you're not careful because Kevin is really strong at the safety position. So, you know, you're seeing some shuffling go around there, but then the young guys at corner are very good. Yes, they uh, are. There's Yeah, there's a lot to work with there. Some things may be a little disappointing, but overall, I think the strength of the secondary is is a lot deeper than, than we probably expected in preseason. The mentality, the way they've played, the way they've attacked, the numbers that they have, the different types of football players that they have, everything from 5'10", bulky, come up against the run, to 6'3", long, and the ability to run down the field. They've got differences. they got guys you can mix and match. They've got guys that they can challenge with other players now, which elevates that competition. You have a coach 
and Patrick Sertan, who has done the right thing in terms of getting those guys to think about being ball hawks and, and attack uh, as opposed to being kind of laid back and you know, guarding us an area. We're watching guys now play football. And this was my great lament, and I don't want to relitigate that, but everybody knows how angry I got watching us play in the secondary last year, except for Jamie Robinson, who was awesome. Everybody else was just, eh, and it really pissed me off um, because I felt they were passive, and I felt like we were st incessantly stuck in the zone. And anyhow, I mean, not in zone, in uh, man. And I really wanted them to be able to mix and match and change your looks, and they have the personnel to do that now, both on the defensive line, and in the secondary, and that's what creates turnover because that creates confusion. And when you're not confusing people, you better execute because every time you don't, there is no confusion from the quarterback. He's going to go and exploit the matchup that he likes best when you're in a predictable down-and-distance formation. They've got to find a way to kind of change up what the quarterback's looking at pre-snap. Yeah, and if they if they do, in fact, come down with more interceptions, they only had eight last year. That's it's embarrassing, man. It's there are individuals around the country who had eight, yes. Like, you know, all of, I mean, I think it was 78 teams had 10 or more. 78. I mean, there's only yeah. 120 some odd in Division yeah. One. That's, I mean, come on. We got to be better than that. But if we do generate more interceptions, for me personally, I'm sure it's a term that's widely used. I had never heard it before. Zone eyes. When I heard Patrick Sertan say in the preseason interview at the lunch, and he wants his guys to have zone eyes. It's like, okay. What a concise way to put the concept into your brain that you always have to have an understanding of where the football is. And if you can turn around and see what the quarterback is doing, then you should absolutely do so instead of yeah. turning your back to the player. That is also that's going to help in two other ways. One way it's going to help is it's going to make Jordan better. And I think the Jordan and the receivers are getting a better camp for their own development. They're being challenged more than I expected they would have. But then also, zone eyes as a general principle, when Jaden Daniels is the first quarterback that you're going to face, that's very good. You don't want to get caught with everybody's back turned to that quarterback Can't. because that's 30 yards or more, and it's just going to happen in a blink like that. It's fun when we have these conversations because you can see it coming together. You can talk about the way that things change. You can talk about how they're going to change, how they'll implement that change. You'll talk about the types of players that can help make that change. You can talk about why they're going to, oddly, in some games, I think they're going to be a feast or famine team. I, in some games, I think they're going to give up some big plays because I think they're going to be really aggressive in the secondary. And if you're really aggressive in the secondary, you're going to give up some big plays. Some really smart offensive coordinator is going to see that on film and say, okay, a lot of double moves this week, guys. And they're going to have to max protect, but they're going to, they're going to go ahead and take some chances and they're going to make some big plays. That's okay. I don't mind that because what you have on offense is elite. What you have on offense is likely going to be one of the highest scoring offenses in the country. So if you're going to get beat being aggressive occasionally and some young corners or young safeties who are maybe being asked to play a little bit sooner than you'd want because they're talented, because their upside is great. Um, all right. They get burned. It happens. All young players make mistakes, but they get better from learning from being out there and making those mistakes and seeing it on film and knowing what's done to them. This is, I, I, there are going to be some games where we've got to win 41-31, you know, 38-28, something yeah. like that. It's modern football. Offenses rule the day. It's going to happen. But those are few and far between because most of the teams 
don't have elite level ability to take advantage of those situations. Their offensive lines aren't going to be able to block Florida State's defensive line as currently constructed with a healthy Jared Verse coming off the edge and and added an addition of Braden Fisk. And, you know, uh, to me, uh, again, enough, maybe not where we were with, with Daryl, but, but, but enough. I mean, you know, I think they're good enough there. So I just – I want them to be aggressive. Football now is about taking some chances. You have a lot of feast or famine in the NFL. You have a lot of feast or famine now in college. It's trickled down. You got players, when you watch the league, you have some corners, and it depends the philosophy that you're playing and what your personnel is. But you have some philosophies where Dallas is a good one, where they will have guys take chances on the football. They tell them to do it. We're willing to incorporate risk. We know that it's sometimes you're going to get burned, but we need the football back. We need to create more opportunities for our offense. It's an offensive game. I want more possessions. How do I get more possessions? I got to take the damn ball away from you. Well, think about it this way. If you make three critical errors in the secondary in one game, on its face, that sounds inexcusable. Three critical errors. What's the worst that can happen for those three critical errors? 21 points? Yeah. 21 going to be enough to beat you if you handle your business and the other drives you generate a turnover or two? Hell no. We're talking about a race in theory here, yeah. in theory, with this offense. you got to be scoring at minimum 35 on average a game. To beat Florida, yeah, I well, without question, Tom. We can start every game with the race to 35. because I, I, There's nobody going to hold us down to that. I mean, LSU could, and Clemson yeah. might. That's all I'm willing to say on record, that those are two teams that might. Yeah. Now, somebody could easily say, yeah, but Jeff, there's all, yes, there's always a game. I can't predict that. There's always a game. There's going to be a game with inclement weather, high right. winds, you, you, you know, a drop snap, and you have one less possession, a drop a punt return, and you have one less possession. Those things happen. But I'm just talking about what this offense looks to be and the talent level on the defense, you almost go into every game saying, yeah, we're scoring 35. Can you get there? Because I don't think you can get there. Right. Yeah, look, they averaged in the mid-30s last year, I think. Was it maybe yeah, upper, yeah. upper half of the 30s? Yeah. Uh, that didn't happen in NC State, but that's the average. That's how right. that's how you arrive to the yeah. averages. Correct. And, and to me, if you're putting that pressure on a team early on in their own game plan, uh, there's one or two ways that they could go about it. They could be super aggressive, which will match you, which means they're going to leave their quarterback and a five-man protection a little earlier than they want to do so, so you got a chance for Jared Verse to go make a play. Or they're going to be ultra-conservative, but yeah. they can't get down by two scores. The moment they get down by two scores, that game plan goes out the window. Yeah, they have to dictate terms, yes. Correct, and then now they have to be aggressive. But the, the idea is, yes, the offense getting off to a good start is always a good idea, but when the conservative team, I think, is the larger threat than the aggressive team to Florida State. The aggressive team is going to play into this secondary's hands. It's the conservative team that is content with three to four yards of play, and maybe they'll just be super aggressive and play four downs once they get past their own 35 or 40-yard line because they know an eight-minute drive is their best friend, not an an 80-yard touchdown in one play. That hurts them more than the eight-minute drive. There's no doubt that that's this is the fun conversation going into last season in the NFL. Now they failed miserably, but Bill Belichick in New England decided to play 1952 football. Like their whole idea was okay, all of you are spreading everybody out. All of you are playing pretty fast tempo. All of you want more plays, not less plays. All of you want to take advantage of the rules. We're going to be a bludgeoning device we are going to run the ball we're going to have three tight ends on the field we're going to play a conservative on offense because we don't trust our quarterback he's going to throw 
you know, mid-range passes. We're going to try to run the ball, and we're going to keep you off the field, and we're going to turn it over to our very good defense. Well, unfortunately for them, they weren't able to execute that style. They couldn't score points when they had opportunities. They got down, to your point, they got down early, and then it becomes a bloodbath because now you're down two scores, and you got to play to something you don't have the personnel to play to, and you get beat, and you turn the ball over. Lots of teams are going to do that against Florida State this year, I believe. I think they're going to say, we don't want to get in a race with Florida State. We need to we need to get this thing shortened up. We need to run the ball. We need to challenge the physicality of this game and see if we can keep them up. But who can do that? Well, LSU probably can, and Clemson yeah. probably can. Maybe somebody else. I don't know too many, but that's how you have to beat Florida State. No, I think the fun part with LSU is I think that – they're going to draw it up to be a track meet too. I think they like their offense better than they like their defense. And that's Brian Kelly's way. I think they want to play this in the upper thirties, lower forties and let's go. But beyond that, I I think it's fair to say that we should expect Boston college, Southern Miss for that month of October, the entirety of it. You got to run the ball. But if it's fourth and two on their own 39 yard line, be ready for them to go for it. Be ready for them to go for it. They know that every possession counts. They punt to us, they're dead. So I just I expect other coaches to take trick plays, chances. This is the kind of stuff we saw 10 years ago, and, and it's what the teams had to do. Think about actually 2012 is a great example with Chad Morris, his first exposure down here in Tallahassee. You know, Mark Stoops feels alone on the sideline because he broke out the whole bag. Yeah. They knew they couldn't win a straight fight. So what happens when you can't win a straight fight? You yeah, try to yeah, do yeah. weird stuff. Yeah, you got to yeah, you got to cheat. You got to punch somebody in the testicles. You got to do what you got to do. Now I mean, that's not LSU though. They think they go in a straight fight, and they oh, might yeah. be able to. They may be able to. You're right. They have the weaponry to do it. This, this is getting so fun to think about because I really believe it's going to play out this way. We're able to provide context for our listeners about how these games are going to look. Jeff Cameron Show, ninety three three Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Hey guys, our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it quite literally every single day. I began using AG1 because I'll be honest with you, I don't like to take a bunch of pills and vitamins and I just wanted something that tastes great, was quick and easy to remember. So I do it. I do it every morning when I wake up. I certainly have it right after my coffee and before I work out. And I will tell you this too, it is... um, a simple, effective investment for your health. You can try AG1 and get five free AG1 travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash JCS. Again, that's go to, all you got to do is go to uh, drinkag1.com slash JCS. That's drinkag1.com slash JCS. Check it out. It's delicious. It's quick. It's easy. It's proven. Vitamins. Probiotics. Whole food source nutrients. Start your day with it. You'll feel better. I promise. The Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. I watch the rain it settle in, disappear for days again. Most of us will stay in. Back to the scrimmage itself, and while we're having a larger discussion about what we see this team emerging to be and what the personnel suggests they are and how teams are going to have to play Florida State, 
I do think that it's worth noting Jaheim Bell sounds like he was another star, uh, another day in which he was a star for this football team. And this is a guy that, uh, you know, has impressed me every day we've been out there starting in the spring. <laughs> every time you saw number six, you went, well, that guy looks like he should be playing in the league. And sometimes when you get a transfer portal player, you don't know what to expect much like Braden Fisk, right? When you saw Braden Fisk, you're like, well, the body type looks like it plays, but he was hurt in the spring. So we really didn't get to see him other than he hustled every day and the drills that they were doing, the non-contact drills. I loved his engine and I liked his body type, but I wanted to see what kind of violence he played with once they got the pads on. Well, that question's been answered. He's a freak. He can do a lot of things. He's going to help this football team. But Jaheim Bell's a guy that from day one, when we just watched him run, at that size, with a body type that looks like that, you thought, well, A, that's clearly a kid who, no wonder he had a lot of success and was utilized as often as he was in South Carolina, at South Carolina, in the SEC. He's going to help us right off the bat. And he has really done that every single day he's been out there. He's durable. He's tough. He's a load to bring down. Sounds like, from what we could tell with the comments post-scrimmage, that that happened again. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny that he went up to Adam Fuller after the scrimmage, according to Adam Fuller, and said, we need to work on tackling. <laughs> when you're the tight end and you're the defensive coordinator, guys need to work on tackling. Yeah, man, tackling you is not fun. It's easier said than done. You're going to cause a lot of people to need to reflect upon tackling because yeah. you're huge and you can move. Adam took that to heart, too, because he was pissed about the way they tackled in general. I don't know that it was the Jaheim play by itself, but, you know, that little intense, wound tight Adam Fuller that sometimes we get when it came to the tackling. I think Ira asked him about it, too. He says, you know, how can he work on it and some of the details? And Adam, you know, he wasn't willing to expound on that one. He goes, you just get him to the ground. Like, so I, that tells you that there were more than a few times where he goes, Jesus, we need to do better. Let me give you a thought on that. No defense tackles well today. None yeah. of them. Um, yeah. The game, and I'm going to sound like an old man, but this is true, folks. Believe me on this. Sometimes when I'm in the car with my son and I say things, he looks at me and rolls his eyes like, come on, old man. And sometimes I let that slide, and I think maybe I'm antiquated and I keep driving. Other times I go, no, no. It's the same as it was in 1979, just like it was in 89. 99, 2009, 2019, son. I'm telling you that this is a thing. It's a through line of your life. It's real. You will do this if you want to succeed. And if you don't, you'll have a hard time succeeding, period. That's that kind of thing. There are those moments you have to have. Here you go. Tackling. People tackled better 25 years ago than yeah. they tackle now. And you know why? Because they practiced it every day and everybody was live all the time. Now, listen, there is the good and the bad with that. Injuries happened all the time to starters back in the day because you practice live. And if you don't believe me, look at Florida State. They lost Dan Kendra because they were live. Their starting quarterback, the superstar to be, got hurt because they played him live. Their quarterback. That's how we all played. Every if you're my age and I'm old, when I played, we went live every day, every day. And we did Oklahoma's every day. There wasn't a day you didn't every day. Well, you're damn sure going to get good at tackling. If you're tackling every day, Yeah, that's just all there is to it. Um, it's kind of like you'll get in shape 
If you're a fat ass and you're doing nothing and you're sitting on a couch and then you go to Orange Theory and you go every single day, every single day, you're going to get in shape. You just are. They don't tackle and practice anymore anywhere. It kind of pisses me off because when I hear coaches say, oh, we really got after it today, I roll my eyes. They didn't really get after it. You mean relative to today, relative to the way you practice now. Nobody got after anything. So I'm not saying they're not tough. Players are still tough. Players are still uh, having to go through the paces in 100-degree heat. It is still a difficult thing when you're in the trenches, even if you're just wearing uppers, to have to go at it. I'm not saying, but, man, most of these skilled players aren't getting hit. Don't yeah. kid yourself. It's nonsense. Yeah, skill position players, linebackers, safeties, corners, receivers. It's nonsense. Back. It's nonsense. Yeah. And that's why when I hear them say, oh, well, we really got after no, you didn't really get after it. I, I appreciate defensive line did. I appreciate that because this is an old man yells at the cloud, but the cloud deserved it moment. You know, yeah, it's just, yeah you're correct. Uh, no team tackles well early in the season. It's a lament of even NFL uh, broadcasters. You could yeah. get play by play guys that. And they say, another missed tackle. And then in week one, the analyst will jump in as well. Well, what do you expect? They don't do as much in the preseason as they used to. I mean, this is this is just the new way of things. It's going to take a while for the tackling to tighten up. As the That is correct. Begins. It yeah. is 100% accurate. Yeah. Yeah, they don't tackle. And, I mean, like, I don't – without getting in trouble for what we see at practice, I mean, how often do you see them tackling anybody? They don't – I mean, it's not a lot of tackling, guys. There's They play the thud. Yeah, stuff like that, but they don't really. And I get it; you're trying to protect your players. Look, there is a negative side to, side to tackling all the time and to playing all in. Okay, we've seen it. We saw it under Jimbo. They were still doing it under Jimbo, and or or when Jimbo would couldn't police them, they'd knock dudes out. Careers were ruined. Guys yeah. got knocked the hell out because players decided yes, and we know we we could talk about it. But at least one at least one career was ruined. Well, one wide receiver saw his career in because of it. It's a tragedy. But this is but again, the correlation, it's real. If you don't tackle, just like if you don't practice getting punched, you can't take a punch. <laughs> if you don't tackle, you don't tackle. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. So that's the whole deal. And I think that's um, you know, coaches are always gonna limit it. They have it in their head. The way that guys used to tackle, they have it in their head, what they grew up watching. If you're Adam Fuller's age, you have in your head the way you used to practice, the way that you as a player used to practice, and the way that you watch the NFL and the way the game was played in the 80s and 90s. It's just not played that way anymore. And I think that in the NFL, it's usually about week four or five, tackling gets better because now you've been doing it. You have to do it. You play every Sunday, you're tackling. But early on, nobody tackles. So in the 40 seconds that we have left, what do you make of Brock Glenn being made live? I'm fine with it because they don't plan on really playing him much this year. Uh, it, it, like out of there need. Is. There it is. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think this maybe tamps down any speculation that he could climb all the way early in the season to number two. Well, you wouldn't turn him live if that was the case. That That is correct. But I don't think the reasoning is invalid. I believe that he could. They're just not going to let him. Hour number two, forthcoming. It's the Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV.